Hey everyone, welcome to the very first episode of Developing Developers. I'm Allie Doherty and I currently work at Collier's Columbus in operations. I know what you're thinking, what the heck do you know about development? Well, not much, but that's why I'm here and I'm sure that's why most of you are here too. We all know that most real estate developers have years of experience in brokerage, financial analysis, or asset management, but I'm here to give those who want to jump right in the tools they need to have a greater understanding for all development entails. Throughout this podcast series, we'll dig into many different topics where we'll hear from lenders, project managers, people in construction, equity providers, architects, brokers, civil engineers, attorneys, the list goes on. We'll also jump into specific topics like women in commercial real estate, when things go wrong in a development project, um, time management, networking versus knowledge, and so forth. The whole point is to give you all the tools you need to become a developer. I'm really excited today to get to talk with one of my colleagues, Brant Murdoch, who is a partner of Tembi Partners. He's going to share all the important pieces of the finances in a development project. Brant has been involved in the finance world for most of his career, but in the last few years has locked arms with Tempe Partners in full-on development projects. Thanks for joining me today, Brant. Hi, Allie. Thanks for having me. Of course. Um, so I would love to know, what is your experience in commercial real estate? Well, First of all, um, let me say to you, thank you for having me. I'm humbled um, and excited to be here. I know I'm your first guest on this podcast, which is going to have a lot of people over the next couple of years. So super humbled again and super excited to be here. Um, my experience in real estate is really interesting. I didn't necessarily intend to be in real estate, didn't necessarily look to be in real estate. Um, it's a product of you know a 25-year career that's kind of meandered. Um, I came out of undergrad and went to grad school. Um, and became a banker, um, basically working on structured finance, uh, financings uh, for mergers, acquisitions, and such. And from then, uh, from there, actually went on to uh, do structured lending for real estate funds, where it was sort of my first exposure into real estate. Um, spent a number of years doing that, and then moved over uh, in the early, I think it was about 2012 or so, to a family office. Uh, and that family office invested into private equity investments, which I obviously had some uh, familiarity and background with, as well as real estate investments. And so that was sort of the initial sort of toe in the water, if you will, uh, working for the family office. And then kind of progressed from there a little bit more into the real estate world. I went to work for a local group here, uh, helping raise equity uh, in the multifamily acquisitions uh, side of the world. Um, and then a couple of years ago, Rich and I got together to uh, form, or I should say, recast, if you will, and rename, if you will, uh, what's now known as Tembi Partners. So um, long about long roundabout way of saying, you know, call it plus or minus 10 years or so I've been in the sector specifically. That's awesome. So, um, yeah, you just talked about how long you've kind of worked to get here. Um, what is your specific role now? What has played into that role? So my specific role now, and, and I think if you talk to any real estate professional, as you will, in the next few months and years, um, I, you know, technically uh, my role is acquisitions and development, um, looking for new deals, uh, developing new deals, et cetera. But there's no question about it, unless you're with a huge firm or fund, that you really are a jack of all trades, right? So 
you know, it is everything from the acquisition side of the world to the development side of the world. But it also is, you know, thinking strategically, thinking macro about, you know, where is the future of real estate, et cetera. It's also as as nitty gritty as, hey, you know, the computer system's down. <laughs> We've got to call somebody and do some work. So I think most people will tell you that they wear multiple hats in the real estate world. And that's certainly the case with with me and those of us at Tembi Partners. I mean, we're a smaller, what I'll call a boutique type of group. Um, we don't look to be the end-all, be-all. We like to do three to five strategic deals a year. And so by virtue of that, you know, and being lean, you really have to wear every hat um, from everything from what I would consider normally in a big firm, a junior analyst type of role, somebody straight out of college, all the way through negotiating, you know, with lawyers and negotiating with big East Coast firms. So um, it's all the above. Yeah. So obviously with all of those different roles, you need some background knowledge of some sort. Um, and for people like me, I don't have a ton of that. So I would love to know what information do you need to jump into the financials specifically of a development project? So it's interesting. I mean, you refer to the financials as being sort of a piece. I think they're frankly everything. I mean, it's it's overarching into every aspect of real estate. Um, you know, Rich Shuen likes to say, you know, you can't improve upon what isn't measured. And he's absolutely right. I've never heard it said that way, but it's so true. And so there's financials in everything. And it's everything from the construction costs and understanding, you know, how those are coming together. It's everything from the lease rates and absorbability of your product. Uh, It's everything from the pro forma that you're going to build out to determine whether or not the deal makes sense. Um, Your cost of equity, your cost of debt. Um, there are literally numbers in every aspect of real estate. And if you're not on top of that, um, you're frankly going to miss, you know, miss the boat or you're going to screw up. I mean, the truth of the matter is anybody can get into real estate. The question is whether or not you're going to be successful as to whether or not you can actually mine the numbers, be all t- on top of them at all times. So, you know, in terms of the financial side of thing, it's, it permeates every aspect of real estate. Awesome. Thanks for that. Good info. I needed it. Um, and you said a couple words there that I want to I want to hit on a little bit more debt and equity, because I know those are two very important parts of the financial aspect. Um, could you explain a little bit as to what those things are and how you find them and source them? Yeah. So if, if you boil it down, it can be super complicated or it can be really simple. Right. So if you're going to go buy a home um, and it's no different than buying a real estate project or developing a real estate project, you're going to have two sources to fund that home. It's going to be your own money out of your pocket. That would be equity. Um, or it's going to be money from a lender, which is debt. And they're going to put a mortgage on the property. And so in the most simplest form, that's that's really what, what we refer to in terms of equity and debt. Um, now, debt has multiple components. You can have a senior lender, a, a bank lender, et cetera. You can have life insurance money. You can have what's called mezzanine money, and that kind of functions in between uh, both debt and equity. But the debt is the side that a lender is going to lend into your project or lend you money for your project, and they're just going to look for a return on their interest or, or interest, if you will. Um, an equity provider is going to come at it from a different perspective. They're the owner. Um, they're the answer. They're the folks that you've got to please, whether it's your own money or somebody else's. And I would certainly say that if it's somebody else's, you have to be even more cautious and and thorough with your work because um, the last thing you want to do is lose somebody else's money. It's bad enough to lose your own. Uh, You definitely don't want to lose somebody else's. And so you've got to be mindful of your finances and all the numbers that go into the project because, one, you have to satisfy the lender. 
But then two, you really need to drive the returns to the equity folks that they're expecting. And you've got to drive the performance because if the deal goes bad and goes sour, the person who's actually going to own the real estate is going to be the bank. And so the equity holders get wiped out. So you've really got to sort of underwrite to every component of what I'll call the capital stack, which is essentially the the combination of your debt and your equity, which represents the total project cost. Thank you. I'm sure many people appreciated that explanation, including myself. Um, so I know you mentioned uh, the finances do have to be taken into account for all aspects of the project, um, the beginning and during. At what point do you think is most important to focus on kind of the pro forma or um, the budget, the numbers that all go into the project? Where is it most important to focus on those? So, uh, again, like most things in real estate, there's not really a clean answer. Um, The truth of the matter is you've got to be on it right out of the gate and you've got to be on it through the moment you sell the thing. Um, And that's simply because, you know, at the end of the day, nobody wants to waste time on something that's never going to what I've referred to as pencil, right? Hit the returns that we're looking for. So if I'm looking at something, I've got a pretty good idea, even if I'm just putting numbers down on a napkin per se, as to whether or not the deal is actually going to make sense. Um, If it's on the margin, I'm going to pay even more attention to it. But if it's an easy no, okay, great, move along. If it's an easy yes, okay, dig in and keep pushing forward. If it's on the margin or or sort of questionable, then I've really got to dig in further right out of the gate to make sure the numbers are going to work. Because everything in real estate costs money. So whether I'm Pursuing diligence, meaning I'm hiring attorneys, I'm, you know, working on title, I'm getting an appraisal, I'm, you know, hiring zoning attorneys. All those things cost like significant money. I mean, I don't want to put a number on it because it's different for a lot of different projects, but um, it could easily be, you know, four or five hundred thousand dollars in a single project before you even press go, if you will. So nobody wants to spend that kind of money out of the gate without having a good feel that your project's going to make sense. But then from a, you know, from an ongoing perspective, you've got to always be on top of things, right? You're, you've got to make sure that your budget, you're hitting that from a construction perspective. So you're holding your general contractor, you know, on point to make sure that he's making sure everything's bid to three different suppliers or vendors. Um, and then, you know, fast forward, let's say the project's up and running, then you've got to be on top of it from a perspective of, okay, am I getting the rents that I need? And frankly, if I'm not getting the rents that I need, then, okay, how else are we going to make up for that? Is that going to be made up in other, you know, other income? Maybe that's parking income. Um, there's a lot of different ways to slice that. So you've always got to be on the numbers even through the project. But then, of course, the end-all, be-all uh, at the end of the day, uh, either you're going to keep it, the project, or you're going to sell it. So when you're working through that, let's say you've got a project that you developed and it's stabilized, you know, again, maybe that's a multifamily community. Maybe that's an industrial building. Let's say you hit, call it 90% occupancy. Great scenario to have. That's typically, you know, called a stabilized product, if you will. At that point, you need to make the decision or you should be thinking about the decision. Do I want to refinance this and pull in cheaper money because you're out of the risky part of the project? So, which is the construction side of things and the lease up. Do you want to refinance that? and get your original money out, replace it with a different type of lender. Maybe that's a life insurance company. Maybe it's a pension fund. There's a lot of different options there. Sometimes it's the same bank. Um, And keep it and take some money off the table and just 
basically mine the property for cash flow for yield, annual return? Or do you say, hey, you know, I'm in the development game for moving along and going on to the next project. Let me go see who I can sell this to. And so all of those um, require a really kind of tight grasp on the numbers at all times because you've got four or five different parties at any given time that's going to question you and push back for various reasons. The lender doesn't want to lend any more than they have to. The buyer doesn't want to have to pay any more than he or she has to. So you've always got to be mindful of the numbers and be on top of them. It sounds sounds important. Um, truly, I think there's you know there's a lot of background that people in development have to have in order to understand the finances. And um, so I think it's obviously hard for someone who doesn't have that background. But um, I appreciate the the information, the insight that um, it's good. I think for everyone to know, you kind of if you don't have a background, you kind of have to get one in some some way um, in order to be in the development world, even if that's not your main your main goal. Would you agree with that, that that's something that's important for every developer to kind of? Yes and no. I mean, listen, if you would ask me three years ago, am I going to be in the development world full time? It wouldn't have been the top 10 mm-hmm. list of things <laughs> that I was would have said yes. Um, and that's just because that's not my background, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, my background's more in the finance world than capital markets world. Um, and so, you know, here I am today, though, and I love it. And it's just like any journey in a career, right? You you may not start off with the skills. In fact, you're probably not going to start off with the skills. Um, but over time, you start filling out, you know, your quiver, if you will, with different skill sets, different tool sets, um, different relationships, candidly. Um, and that's critical as well. And so, you know, here I am today and I find myself in the development world, but that's not where I started by any stretch. In fact, uh, you know, you could have shown me a budget for a construction project uh, literally three years ago and I would have, my eyes would have glazed over. But I think anybody who wants to get into development, everybody actually has to, including myself and anybody else who's in the field. And I think anybody in the field would tell you the same thing that you've got to constantly be learning. You've got to constantly be growing and stretching and and absorbing like a sponge because even even today um, where I feel like I've got a, a really good handle on a particular project, you know, all it takes is a question mark or a question or two to maybe our general contractor or somebody that we hire on a specific project to say, hey, is there a new way? Is there a better way? I mean, look at the world around us, right? Things are changing so fast. Well, as stodgy as the real estate development world is perceived to be, it's moving fast there too. And it's not just from a construction perspective, it's from a financing perspective and from um, leasing perspective. I mean, I think the whole brokerage world is is changing as as we've seen, right? So it's become more of a consulting sort of role. So the point is that you don't have to have a specific skill set to work your way into development. You know, I'm here on a linear, in a linear fashion from my career, but it's not a straight line. Mm-hmm. It's linear, right? But it's it's bounced all over the place, and here I am today. And so I think that anybody who wants to get into development can certainly do so. And the question is, okay, how, how do you do that? <clears throat> well, continue to build out your skill set. Um, and I would say one of the most important parts of that is, aside from always sort of learning and always being a sponge and, and whatnot, and I, what I refer to as being intellectually curious, um, is building relationships. So here's the deal. There's, I mean, uh, there's probably 15 different parties to a development that have to come in 
and play a role. And they're not just, you know, side roles. They're central player roles, right? There's, they have to be part of the A team. Um, you know, I, I'm not an architect. That means I got to hire an architect. And they have degrees and certifications. And they're architects for a reason, right? Mm-hmm. That's what they specialize in. There's civil engineers, right? I couldn't tell you where sanitary lines run or where utilities run. That's their specialty. That's what they do. They can tell you how much dirt needs to be put on a site, taken off of a site, or leveled. Um, you know, lawyers. I, I'm not a lawyer. I would never pretend to be one. Uh, <laughs> although, unfortunately, much of my job is is pretending to be one. Um, per <laughs> lots se, of, lots of reading involved. There's after, a yeah. lot of a lot of legal work because at the end of the day, um, you got to button things up and make sure that um, you're on board with your attorneys because they're looking out for your best interest and in mitigating risk. But you know, there's financing folks. You can get into development through financing. Um, you know, you can work for a port authority. Um, you could be a zoning person. So there's so many different ways to find your way into development. And the question is, okay, how do you add value, right? How do you come onto a team and say, hey, I'm junior, I'm young, um, but I can add value, you know, while I learn the skill sets on the fly. Um, and so at the end of the day, you got to kind of look at your own skill set and say, okay, where am I strong? One thing that I, I, I got a career advice, gosh, way back when, when I was going to grad school, um, it was the first day of um, my MBA program, and the head of the provost said, listen, you're here today. Um, maybe you got an engineering background. Maybe you've got a, um, a marketing background, which was my case, which I totally skated through undergrad because I was marketing. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't expect <laughs> total, that. I total I total that. marketing guy because at the end of the day, it allowed me to you know be a college goofball um, <laughs> and get skate through undergrad with the best GPA I could um, while not working too terribly hard. Admittedly, sorry. Um, but at the end of the day, um, you know, this provost said, hey, you're here to become a quote unquote master of business. Now, that's not going to be actually the case, but you're here to round out your skill set. So if you got an undergraduate in marketing, don't come here and take marketing courses. Take finance, take accounting, mm-hmm. take the parts of the skill set in your toolbox that you lack and learn them and get better at them. And so that advice really holds true. Um, and part of the way you do that is building the relationships with folks in those fields. So. Yeah, that, yeah. And that was, my next question was kind of who all is involved. And I think you definitely hit that on the head. Um, there's obviously many people that you need to build relationships with, lots of roles. Um, and so Obviously, my background, I um, majored in strategic communications, uh, and I'm currently in operations, so this is not anything that I had planned for just to take interest in and learn about. Um, I'm currently taking an online financial modeling course through Adventures in Commercial Real Estate. Uh, It's called the Accelerator course, and they go through like the discount cash flow model and income statements, different calculations, more than I could even comprehend right now. Um, And that has been really helpful in my understanding and trying to, you know, perfect my knowledge of things that I don't have any background in. Um, If someone were to jump into development without a financial background, for let's say marketing or strategic communications, um, what would you say is a good first step to getting started? So uh, it's funny, right? you're saying strategic communications, and yet here we're doing a podcast. So that, <laughs> you're right, that you're works right. pretty well. It's coming in handy. <laughs> it's coming in handy, um, even though we had to figure out how to work this thing, right? <laughs> um, no, you know, at the end of the day, there's a lot of folks that jump into development. And um, it's a it's a 
some would say it's a sexy industry to be in. It's a cool industry to be in. Um, I think it's cool from a perspective of your buildings. You're literally building something that wasn't there. So, you know, when I'm, you know, long gone and, and you know, just a memory, like, okay, there'll be a structure that I was involved with. There'll be something that I was involved with. Hopefully it supports jobs. Hopefully it supports families. Like, to me, that's pretty redeeming. That's pretty cool, right? So, you know, I'm 46 years old. Yikes. Um 46 years old. So at this point in my life, like I'm kind of looking and saying, okay, what impact do I have on the world? Right. I've, I've built a family. I've, you know, I've, I'm working through my career. I've done reasonably well, but then all of a sudden you start to get a little bit more philosophical and you say, okay, again, when I'm dead and gone, like what's my legacy? What have I done? And how have I impacted the world positively around me? That's what's cool about development is you're doing that. Um, no question about it. And so you do see a lot of folks jumping into development. Sometimes they're junior folks um, straight out of school um, for a variety of reasons. Maybe they just fell into it, right? Most people coming out of college just want a dang job, mm -hmm. right? Um, so, you know, I, I appreciate that. Some folks just quote unquote get lucky. Some folks strategically say, I want to get in. Um, that's no different than adults. So here I am at, you know, call it 40, what, 43 years old. And I'm like, okay, let's do some development work. How do we do this? And so it's the same process candidly. And that is, you've got to absolutely surround yourself with the best people. You need an A team. And so again, it goes back to the relationship side of thing. You, you need a network. You need to be in touch with folks. You need an A team of, I mean, we named a few folks. But on any project, there's going to be a general contractor. There's going to be project managers. There's going to be insurance group that you're going to have to interface with. There's a management team who's going to manage the property. You know, there's an asset management team potentially that's different from the management team um, or the property management team. There's lenders. There's equity providers. There's attorneys, finance. I mean, I, literally, the go, list goes on and on of the folks that we deal with on any given project. And what you want to do is deal with folks and work with folks who think like you do, um, who share the same sort of uh, what I'll call, you know, values, if you will, because here's the deal. I can model out and pro forma a deal all day long and say, yeah, this is going to be a home run. And the truth of the matter is if you do enough of them. Eventually you're going to have one that just comes up um, underwhelming, if you will, mm -hmm. to use a nice word. I'm trying to curb my, <laughs> curb my typical words, uh, but it's true though. You're, you're going to end up coming across a deal that just didn't quite work out as you'd hoped. And so when that happens, do you have the right parties around the table who can help you write the, write the ship, um, calm everybody down, address the problem, do it the right way, um, do right by others, and really just kind of you know roll up their sleeves and get it done. And so it's critical that you're identifying and networking with folks who can do that. Um, you know, and that's not even to say like there's the most random things happen on deals. I mean. Literally, it can be the greatest deal and everything's great. And then all of a sudden, there's you find out that despite all your research, there's an aquifer underneath your property. It happens. It happens pretty regularly in certain parts of the country. Wow, what a bummer. Or, you know, you're developing and all of a sudden you discover that, wow, this is an area that's high in radon. Well, guess what? You can't put residential without mitigating that radon issue, which is a ground swells up from the ground. And so... There's solutions to all those things, but the only way you can solve them is surrounding yourself with the right people who can help do that. And so I would never tell you I'm an aquifer specialist. I would never tell you I'm a geo scientist or a, or a radon mitigator, but I can pick up the phone and I know who to call when that type of thing happens. So that's really the critical side of it. Um, Long-winded answer of saying, you know, anybody can get into the development business, but if you're not coming from sort of somebody, you know, hey, my dad or my uncle was a developer, 
the best way to do it is to start building relationships in the field that are that's going to be relevant to you because you will break through, no question about it. Um, and maybe some of those folks may help you break through. Um, but once you do, you're definitely going to rely on them. Yeah, I think that's um, that's great. I We're going to have a whole podcast on um, networking versus knowledge because uh, I think a lot of people could go into it thinking, if I learn all this stuff, I can get to where I want to be. Um, but for a lot of it, we do just have to build relationships and, uh, you know, build your network. And and I think, you know, Rich Shuen always says, if you do the right thing, uh, you'll, you know, get to where you need to go. He doesn't say it in those exact words, but um, pretty much, you know, doing the right thing will, it's true. you know, bring you success. And so I think that is important and remembering that the motivation shouldn't really be the money or the success that you can have because it is a team of people. Mm -hmm. So it is you want to, you know, everybody should succeed and you want to help them succeed and help your team succeed and, um, you know, be in it for the long term with just making a difference and helping people. And I think that that motivation brings a lot more success than people who are just in it to make money and know the stuff and do their job and, you know. Yeah, you'll you'll come across folks in your career, if you haven't already, mm-hmm. um, where you can see plain as day that they're out for their own interests. Um, and that's fine. Um, listen, I, you know, I never, you know, scoff at anybody else's attitude towards that. But I'll tell you what, like, I want to, what, what's more important to me is I sleep well at night yeah. um, and know that, you know, we did things the right way. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, does that mean we're not going to have you know, fans on every corner. Um, sometimes it does, sometimes it doesn't, you know, I can't really, you know, play games around, you know, whether or not, you know, that's going to happen or not. But at the end of the day, if you're doing the right thing, you sleep well at night, your projects are generally going to be, um, successes. You're bound to have, uh, you know, uh, what I will call a loser, but one that's under underwhelming, if you will, from time to time. Um, and that's a bummer, right? But, but at the end of the day, you do hope that, um, you know, on the whole, and again, it's all underpinned by the finances that you've done a good job on the majority of your projects. Um, and that that's, again, you know, I'll be honest with you, you know, one of the things that I think most about is when we bring in external equity, which we do on a lot of our projects, like I want them to be like absolutely raving fans of us. Like I want them to be asking us, when's your next deal? Like, hey, can I bring my uncle or my brother or my dad into yeah. this deal? Because at the end of the day, if people are doing that, then you did them well. They made money. Um, we made money. Like, because I'm going to sit at the end of the end of the line in terms of collecting, you know, my return. And so, if I've made them money and they're happy, guess what? That's awesome. And that means I'm going to make money. And guess what? We've got support for the next deal too. So, to me, your external equity is always, you know, your top priority. But then if you think about the team of people who worked on the project, yeah, guess what? They have jobs to do and they get paid too. And some of them maybe even be invested in the deal too, which is great. So that's a win as well. And and so you always want to have people walking away going, that was an awesome project. Where's the next one? You know, yeah. let's do the next one. So, yeah. And so when things do go wrong, maybe if you have a specific story, you can tell, you can share it. But um what do you do to fix that? Or what's your approach when um, something happens that's out of the ordinary or it's a, oh, crap moment, you know? Yeah. I mean, if so coming from the banking world uh, and the finance world and whatnot, I can tell you, and certainly the mergers and acquisition world, every this is a staple like saying that, that everybody knows. I don't know that everybody knows it in the real estate world, but uh, quite a few, I think, do. 
And that is that every deal has to die three times. And it's so true. Every deal hits three, if not more, um, oh shit moments where you're just like, oh gosh, this is not good. Like this is going to kill the deal or we're going to lose a ton of money on this or uh oh. And honestly, you got to keep your calm. Um, and then you just got to assess the problem. You got to triage it quickly. You got to get the right resources in place to fix it. And then you suck it up. You know, you pull on your, you know, big boy, big girl panties and you just push through it. Right. And if that means additional money and I've got to come out of pocket as the sponsor of the transaction to fix that problem, so be it. You know, that's the risk that we take as developers. That's the risk that we, you know, put on our shoulders is that things do pop up. Right. So if I'm acquiring a building, it's an existing building and it's already got tenants in it, then there's not, I mean, there's risk there, but there's not as much risk as I'm going to buy some land. I'm going to hope that the land's good. I'm going to build something. I'm going to hope that somebody wants the, the, to lease it. And then I'm going to hope that there's a market for it when I'm ready to sell it. Like there's a ton more risk there. So all those things could go wrong in any which way. And oftentimes they do. And when it happens, you just got to look at it, adjust course and fix it. You know, again, it goes back to doing the right thing. Um, so again, every deal dies three times. I promise you that if not even more, but you know, that's part of the, part of the game. You got to have grit. You got to have persistence. You got to be resilient. Um, keep your cool and just, and just roll with it. Yeah. I love that. I think, uh, a lot of people go into development assuming that they'll, you know, get in there, make money and move on. And I think there's a lot of, um, risk and just, things that people don't know in the background that's happening. So, uh, and you see that every day with, you know, all the little. Every day. I mean, honestly, I feel like at least once a week, if something didn't pop oh, yeah. up, uh, something's wrong. You know, the, the world's <laughs> about ready to whack me twice on the next week because yeah. it just does. Ha- I mean, it just happens. That's part of our job is putting out fires, addressing issues, um, and keeping everybody focused and on point to move things forward. Yeah. But then it's fun when you, you know, have a successful project or um, you get to work through that stuff with your team. And it is, you know, it is. It's a blast. Character. It's a blast. I mean, don't get me wrong. It's a it's a it's a love hate. Right. Because no job is perfect. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, there's just no thing, such thing. But if you can enjoy what you do and you enjoy problem solving and you enjoy, you know, digging in and fixing things. It's a great, great career path. It's a great industry. Um, you know, I don't think that, again, I never planned on being in development. But I don't think that, um, you know, if I look three or four years out, will I be doing the exact same thing? Probably not. So as long as you have like a, a continuum, a mindset of continuum of growth and, and you know, call it intellectual curiosity and you're continuing to learn new things – we'll still be developing, but maybe we're not developing what we're developing today. Maybe we're developing a different product, right? So maybe right now the hotspot is industrial, but, you know, maybe in a couple of years, uh, post COVID people are realizing that we're underbuilt for office. Okay. Maybe it's office at that point, or maybe it's something totally different, right? I mean, you've got to be always be thinking about the future. If you're in this world, um, again, people think of development and real estate as kind of stodgy, but everything comes into play from, thinking about electrical electric vehicles and the impact on the infrastructure and how we drive to, you know, think about when we have electrified trucks running on the road, what does that do to our, our you know, infrastructure and the needs relating to storage? Um, if trucks can drive at night without anybody in them when the roads are not packed, right? 
do we still need parking decks, right? Uh, you know, uh, things that we thought were going to be gone three or four years ago, oh, parking decks are going to be way of the past because your car is going to drop you off and go back home or pick up other people. Parking decks are going to go the way of the dodo bird. Well, okay, now people are saying, no, maybe not, you know, because three years later, people are post-COVID and they're saying, I kind of like my independence. I kind of like being able to do it. So things are constantly changing. So uh, it's just a long-winded way of saying, you know, what we're doing today might not be what we're doing in the future because you're if if you're going to be good in this business, I think you're going to roll with the changes and you're always going to be looking forward five to 10 years. So yeah, that's great. Um, well, I feel like I got a lot of information. I learned a lot. Um, if someone left with one piece of information from this, what would you want them to know? Um, again, I'll go back to what I said before and I'll keep it brief, but it's really about continuing to build out your skill set. If you want to be in development, um, do not be deterred. You've got to be resilient. You got to push and control the things that are in your control. So what's in your control? Learning, um, learning new skills and candidly relationship building. Those are all within your control. So get, get out network, ask how you can add value, ask if you can shadow, ask if you can learn, uh, on the fly, um, bring value wherever you can, create introductions and expect nothing out of them. That's just good business. That's not just development advice. Like that's just good business, right? You gotta, you gotta pay it forward and trust that things will work themselves out. So invest in yourself, invest in your relationships, invest in people and be authentic with them too. Don't just network to network. Like get to know them, right? Because at the end of the day, if you and I just met Allie and, you know, I'm, oh, Allie's an Allie scout. Great. That's awesome. And I don't speak with her again. Then when I hear that XYZ is hiring, am I going to call you? No. But if you're consistent and, you know, we develop a relationship and we talk and, you know, you know something about me and I know something about you, then, oh, gosh, hey, wait a minute. Allie's looking for a job. And guess what? XYZ is hiring. I'll make that connection and I'll give a warm recommendation for you. Now, you're going to have to go through the interview process and carry the torch. But at the end of the day, the intros are everything. So, you got to network. You got to be authentic. You got to, you know, try to help people pay it forward and you can absolutely get in this industry. I think that's great. I think um, I have tried to, you know, take advantage of the fact that I'm young and can still have this opportunity to learn and grow. And obviously we'll still continue to do, to do that forever, but not everybody has um, the opportunity to do that right, right away. Um in a company that's, you know, already set up and growing and, um, has already had relationships with people. And, um, so I think it is very, you know, helpful for people to know that they do need to take advantage of any opportunity they're given and almost sacrifice some time sometimes to, you know, go out and meet with people. And, um, I don't know, I think a lot of young brokers and, um, people trying to get into development, they can focus a lot on, um, you know, they need to be in the office. They need to make these phone calls and do their do their job. But there's a lot to learn outside of that and can give them opportunity that they don't even realize is there. I feel like that's where I'm at, you know, mm-hmm. in operations and just taking some opportunity that's in front of me. So, yeah, I think um, that's very helpful for people. Yeah. I mean, at the, at the end of the day, it's, you know, you can you can always expand. I mean, I just as a, a case in point. So when I'm 46, I've got two kids. Like, and they're young. So life's pretty chaotic. I don't have much free time, but I will tell you, everybody eats lunch. Everybody has time for coffee. Mm-hmm. Right. And I do my best now post COVID. I'm making up for lost time because we lost a year 
um, of not being able to get out. But it's been my goal post-COVID to really get together with at least one person a week who either I haven't seen in a while, haven't talked to in a while, or need to network with. And so think about that. That's just one a week. One one breakfast, one coffee, one, you know, let's go grab a beer, let's grab lunch, um, you know, one phone call even. If you do that, that's 52 people. That's a lot of progress in yeah. a year. And it doesn't take long because here's the deal. You will meet people um, who will say, oh, my gosh, I got to introduce you to so-and-so. Well, great. You just made it easier for me to meet somebody that you think highly of. So, you know, that just pays it forward even further. And, and then you branch off into a whole new network. So um, absolutely take use of it. Um, I know everybody's lives are busy. They get even busier when you get older. But you have to build relationships. You have to do that. I mean, it, one, it's enriching rewarding it's fulfilling but you also learn mm -hmm. which is which is a cool part of it too yeah. so be asking questions ask them what they're all about ask them what they do how they get in their career how long you've been there you know what do you do on a day-to-day -day basis and you'd be surprised how much you learn people i hate to say this isn't a negative but people love to talk about themselves so if you give them an opportunity to by asking questions and i don't care what field you're in if you do that you're going to learn so much more than what you ever anticipated. Yeah, no, that's, that's a great word. It's a good piece to end on, I think. Um, I do. Uh, hold on, Allie. Since <laughs> life is unscripted and real estate's yeah, unscripted yeah, and full sure. of surprises, I'm going to put you on the spot. We're going to turn this around. I get okay. to, I'm going to ask you. I wasn't expecting this. Yeah, I know you weren't. So so, so now that you've been with Tenby for, mm -hmm. and this will only take about two minutes, but now that you've been with Tenby for a year and a half or so, mm -hmm. what have you learned? Wow. Um, so... I would say the biggest thing that I think I've learned, um, yeah, in the last year and a half in life in general from working, um, you know, directly with Rich Schuin and with you and um, just everyone else in our company, I think um, the whole work-life balance is really important to me. I think that's something that it might sound naive that I'm, you know, I want to leave work at work and, you know, but I do think that. Um, like you were talking about relationship building and genuine um, friendships with people and those kinds of things, those can carry over from work and into your personal life. And a lot of people separate those things. And I think that's fine. But um, I just have learned not to take it too seriously. Um, and I think that obviously that's not like a cut and dry thing that I've been taught in the last year and a half. But um, yeah, I think just not taking work too seriously or my myself too seriously and being willing to fail and jump into things. And honestly, I'm in a company where they let me fail and then teach me how to be better. And so I think that I've been really thankful for that. And I know not everybody has those opportunities to do that. Um, so I think just learning how to fail and how to keep growing and learn and uh, just moving and in my knowledge of real estate. And um, yeah, so I would say that, like, I don't know if that's more on a personal level, but I definitely think it carries over into um, my job and my role. And um, I'm trying to think if there's anything else more concrete that I can share. But uh, in the last like six months, I've been doing this accelerator course and trying to, I have, I took a real estate class in college that it's, um, I have a textbook for, which is like develop or real estate and finance or something. And um, so I whip that out every now and then and try to <laughs> get some get some terms in there and um yeah try to learn that way so throw some buzzwords our way yes yeah yeah <laughs> um so i've i don't know i've learned a lot but i don't know if that answers your question it does uh, you yeah. know it's interesting you pointed out um in this business 
in any business, there are super high highs and mm-hmm. super low lows, mm-hmm. and you just can't let them get to your head. Yeah. It's just part of the job. Mm-hmm. It's part of almost any job, you know. But I will tell you, in, in real estate in particular, there are really high highs and really low lows. And if you can keep, you know, the maximum of staying kind of in the middle um, and buffer the highs and buffer the lows and kind of keep steady, you'll keep your sanity a little bit better. Yeah, I, that's great. And I think I have learned to do that. You almost have to not have your identity and wrapped up in a specific deal. So true. Yeah. Well, that's good personal advice in general. Don't, don't let your work be your identity. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's, I mean, I can absolutely tell you because I'm a little, (laughs) I'm a lot older than you. Um, (laughs) Too many people do that. Mm -hmm. And, and they feel like if they lose on something, then that's a personal slight on them. And, you know, that's just, that's not reality. That's their own sort of cooked up brain you know, fog, if you will. So, all right. Final question. This is the hardest Another. one of all. Starbucks or Dunkin' for coffee? I have to say, I've never had Dunkin' coffee. I I don't know. Like, <sighs> Allie, this interview is done. I'm We're sorry. Done. I don't know. But here's the thing. <laughs> How is this possible? I don't know. I just have never thought to go there. But I will say, I don't get Starbucks a ton either. I'm just not really a coffee girl. Right. Unless I'm, I, I'll crave it randomly and I'll get Starbucks. But but how about this? I will try Dunkin' this week. And I will bring you, you know. some Dunkin'. How's that? <laughs> yeah. I will bring you some Dunkin' Donuts. Wow, and then, yeah. And I would even put, this is just my personal vote. Okay. Dunkin', Tim Hortons, and then Starbucks. Wow. And believe, and Tim Hortons is the Dunkin' Donuts of Canada. So what's the, what's your order there? Is it just regular, just regular black coffee? Yeah. No, I do cream and sugar. Cream okay. and Splenda. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So, I'll have to try it. So it's a little lighter than the Starbucks heavy stuff. There's going to be some people who are just going to be like hanging up on this thing at I this know. point. They're like, we're done with this. Starbucks is the only thing we drink. Oh, man. There's... Oh, gosh. I really wasn't prepared for that. I should have tried Dunkin' before this. <laughs> it's this all morning. good. Um, thank you. Well, thank you so much, Brand. Yeah, I really appreciate me. this. I'm sure um, everyone listening learned a lot as well. Hope so. And um, I know I did. So thank you again. Thank you.